0: Says on Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. What a great statement of faith! Do you love to worship the Lord? I mean, He has created us for this. He has created us for this. that's why you exist. That's why I exist. Well, it's so great to have you here this morning. I don't, well, I don't know about you, but I needed worship this morning. I, I tell you. Uh, And and I'm blessed because I get it like three times. I mean, I walk through this service three times and just being a part of worship and what God does. And it's he does always something different in every service. And it's just so cool. Uh, to, see, to see what he does. Well, this morning we're going to continue through this series of spiritual intelligence. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13 is where we, we, we actually we left off in verse 12 uh, last week, or, we're st- or verse 11. We're starting verse 12 this week. And we're going to start looking at this issue of biblical leadership and, and what God expects out of the leaders. And, and listen, even though he's talking about this from a perspective of biblical leadership or church leadership, it also correlates into your life. I mean, these same leadership principles will correlate in your life, uh, whether you're a parent, uh, whether you're in a leadership position at the office or where you work or in your neighborhood with friends. When All of us are leaders at some point. or not If you influence others, which whether we realize it or not, we all influence others. They were all leaders of some sort, and we need to understand that. And so let me give you just a little bit of background and context, what's going on in Corinthians. The Corinthians church was a wreck. I mean, they had huge issues. They had huge problems. Paul had already addressed them once and and, and then twice, and then some things were going on in that Corinthian church, and then there was a group of people that didn't like Paul, and so they rose up against him. They were saying some bad things about him. They were questioning some of his motives. They were questioning some of his decisions. And, And let me just tell you this. The test of your leadership, the test of my leadership, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the business, whether it's in the home, is not when people agree with you. It's not when people speak well of you. The true test of your leadership and my leadership is when things aren't going quite so good. When people may be upset with you, when people are criticizing you, when people are rebelling, whatever words you you want to use. The test of our leadership is when things are difficult. And this is the position that we see Paul in. In this, And so he basically gives about five different signs, five different identifiers, five different qualifications, whatever you want to say, of what biblical leadership looks like. And the first thing that he basically tells us is, is, is this, a leader must be a person of integrity. A leader has to be a person of integrity for people to follow them. Now listen, when the world uses this word integrity, generally what they're doing, they are talking about all the outward stuff. Integrity is way more deeper than that. I mean, integrity comes from the word integer, which means whole number. Integrated to where things are integrated together. You know, I've talked to you about the sinking of the Titanic. It's just kind of an interesting story to me. The the, the Titanic was the first ship ever built with a compartmentalized hull up until this point all the ships at this time had an open hull and so their thinking was this, that if they built compartmentalized hull, if they built compartments, that a couple of the compartments could be destroyed, a couple of the compartments could could take on water but the ship would still float and that's why they thought that the Titanic because it had a compartmentalized hull will, will still be able to, to, to float and won't sink and we know that isn't true, right? and so what they learned is A compartmentalized hull in a ship is not a good thing, and guess what? A compartmentalized life is not a good thing. To where integrity is this issue, it's much deeper than just the outward. It's much deeper than that, and it's an integrated life to where you don't live a life of your of compartments. To where you have you have your, your 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 church life here, and you have your spiritual life here, and you have your church friends here, and you have your secular friends here, and you have hobbies here, and you have your profession here, and you have recreation here, and you act differently in every compartment, and you have fear that if one group crosses from one compartment to another, they'll realize that you're not consistent in all of those. And integrity is a deep thing. And here's what Paul says in verse 12. He says, now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, especially in our relations with you, with holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have, done so according to, we have done so not according to the worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. Now, Paul defines out integrity for us in a biblical way. He uses three words to describe it, which is really interesting to me, because it's much different than what the world will tell you. The first thing that he says that's a part of integrity is this issue of conscience. This issue of conscience, and when you walk with God, and, and uh, when you have a relationship with him, your conscience will affirm you, or it will convict you, or it will accuse you. And Paul says, you know what? My conscience is clean. I know what you're saying about me. I know what you're accusing me of. I know what's going on in the rumor mills. But I need to tell you, my conscience is clean. My conscience doesn't, when I go home at night and I lay my head down on the pillow, I sleep well. I don't carry guilt for things I've said, decisions I've made, things I've hidden, compartments. In other words, Paul's life could pass the scrutiny of a press or a group of people that are inspecting his life because he walked his talk. And he understood this, that you know what, my talk lines up with my walk, but Paul said it didn't just end with conscience. There's this issue of of holiness. Holiness needs to be, means to be just totally set apart. It means to be set apart from God, for uh, set apart from the world to God. It means set apart for a special service. It means set apart from the flesh and worldly passions. And Paul says, because my my life is set apart, because of this issue of holiness, because of the issue of conscience that doesn't Accuse. Have see, integrity is more than just the outside. Integrity, biblical integrity, is living set apart from the world. To where we don't live life like the world does. We live life different now no one expects spiritual leaders to be perfect but we do have the right to expect the general direction of spiritual leaders that their lives are different that their lives are set apart and though they may not be perfect we have a right to expect that spiritual leaders, their lives are different. And the way that they conduct themselves is is different. And they're set apart from the sins of the flesh. And there's not this disconnect between their walk and their talk. They may not be perfect. But you know by just being around them that, boy, there's just something different about them and their life. And Paul says integrity is not only conscience and integrity is not only holiness but it's this issue of sincerity and now all of a sudden we get to the outward expression of it the first two is kinda inward right and now all of a sudden Paul moves to the, the the outward expression he says it's it's also this issue of sincerity I mean Paul in Corinthians says he says listen I've conducted myself in holiness and sincerity this the Greek word for sincere comes from a Latin word that that basically just means without wax. Now, we don't understand much about that, but they understood that in their context. fact is, the definition of the Greek word for sincerity means this. It just means uh, sun-tested. You see, the ancients in their culture, in their time, they, they, would, they would produce and they would, they would make this beautiful uh, porcelain vases and they would take and they would mold them and they would shape them and then in the firing process when they had put them in the in the kiln when they would when they would purify them and they would put them in a lot of times oftentimes some of the vases would crack because of the heat dishonest merchants had this pure white wax and they would take those vases out and they would fill in the cracks and then sell them as if they had no flaws No blemishes, no problem. People that understood this when they shopped for vases to protect themselves would simply take them outside and hold them up to the sun, sun tested. And when the light came through, they could see the wax, they could see the cracks, they could see the flaws honest merchants had a sign over their vases They would say, sun-tested, without wax, without flaws. See, when sincerity flows in a person's life, there's no deception. There's no deception about their life, their choices, their decisions, their walk with God. There's no embellishing of the truth for personal gain. You know, those stories that are told, the truth is like embellished to make that person look, you know, funnier than they really are, smarter than they really are, make the story more exciting than it really is. I mean, have you ever been around someone and they're telling a story and like you were there and you know, well, that's a funny story, but I know it did not go down like that. There's something inside of me that just makes me just push back. But wow, if they'll embellish a story like that, what else? I mean, what Paul was saying, integrity is this, is that when the light of God, when the light of the Son of God shines through your life, it illuminates where there's deception and where there's flaws and where there's problems. And one of my favorite stories of golf is Bobby Jones was playing a U.S. Open, and this is just like a huge story. And he was in contention, and, and he hit a ball into the rough, and he went over into the rough, and, and he addressed the ball, and we laid the club down behind the ball. His club head hit a twig, which moved the ball. Nobody saw it. And Bobby Jones turned to his caddy and says, Mark me down a penalty stroke, I moved the ball. And his caddy was shocked, and he, like, he like looked around and says, uh, Mr. Jones, I just got to tell you, nobody saw it. And Bobby Jones says, I saw it. I know I could get away with it. I saw it. I got to sleep. No. Afterwards, there was just huge interest into this story. The reporters gathered around Bobby Jones after he came off to 18th green, and they wanted to know the answer about, why did you do this? Why? I mean, word has it. I mean, nobody saw that. You could have gotten away with it. You could have scored much better than that cost you. And Bobby Jones, when in the interview, almost got angry. And he looked at him and he says, he says, are you serious? He says, why didn't you just ask me, why didn't you rob a bank? He said, if you'll lie about one area, you'll lie about them all. Me being able to walk off the 18th green and knowing that I was honest and had integrity at Meant everything to me. You see, we live in a world to where we've become cynical about leadership and to where we believe that, you know what? Nobody serves with integrity and right living. And boy, I just need to tell you, there are still people in this world like that. And they may not have the greatest charisma, they may not have the greatest gifts, they may not be self promoting. Because that's what our world looks like, looks far right in leaders. We want someone that has the greatest oratory skills and they look the part and they act the part and they have the charisma and all that stuff. But biblical leadership, they may not have any of that. When God wanted to appoint a king over Israel, he went to the least likely family. He went to Jesse's family, a poor family that just shepherd. And he went to them and he. Went to the least likely son, David, and chose him. To where in Psalm 78, the Bible says that David served with integrity of heart. Perfect? No. But he's a man after God's own heart. He's a man after God's own heart. The second thing is this that he said about leaders is that leaders must speak the truth clearly. That leaders must be willing to speak the truth clearly. Here's what Paul says, verse 13. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. Guys, no fine print. No fine print in the contract. No loopholes. No gotchas. He said, I wrote to you large enough, plain enough. Listen, when you and I are dealing in critical matters, serious matters, It is critical that we speak in a way that is clear, in a way that people can understand. No hidden motives, no hidden agendas, no deception. I mean, I know in our time, secular leadership, politicians, politicians are taught to be vague. Politicians are taught to never really answer the question. Politicians are taught to deceive in such a way to where they never come to the point that they actually say where they stand on an issue. They're also taught to use familiar words. Just use familiar words that grabs the heart of people, grabs the trust. For instance, the word family. Use the word family often. In Even though their definition of family may be different of your definition, it may not be the definition of a traditional family. Their definition of family may be that it's a ju- group of people that just kind of live together but not truly committed to one another. Just use those words, use familiar words, and have your picture made with them often so it communicates. It's easy for us to talk about politicians, but it happens in the church too. There's some churches that talk about that we believe in the Word of God, but they really and truly don't believe in the inerrant Word of God. They really and truly don't believe in the whole counsel of God's Word. And oftentimes they never really refer to it much other than just saying, we just believe in the Word of God. Some churches will talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But boy, they don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What they believe in is His, his memory and His teaching lives on, but that He didn't raise from the dead in body form, the Mormons. The Mormons will speak of Jesus as the Son of God. But listen, they don't mean that Jesus is a Son of God in the flesh. They mean that he's the Son of God in a way that we can all one day be sons of God. Leaders worth following will speak the truth clearly whether you agree with them or not. They'll tell you where they stand. They'll tell you what they believe. I mean, Ephesians 4.15 says that we must learn to speak the truth in love. And that's true, but I'm going to tell you this. The truth is seldom vague. To are able to come to... The Remember Jesus, when they, when they took Jesus up before the Sanhedrin, and, and they got frustrated... Because the witnesses were like, the high priest got frustrated because the witnesses were contradicting one another and it was a sham and the whole thing that went with that. And so he got frustrated, so he just turned to Jesus, ignored the witnesses, and says, Who do you say you are? I mean, are you the Messiah or not? Just tell me. And Jesus looked at him and said, I am. I'm the Messiah. And one day, you're going to see the... Son of God in all of his power and all of his glory. And they crucified him. It's true. You speak the truth in love, you speak the truth clear, you tell, it may cost you. It may hurt you. That's what keeps us from doing it, right? I mean, that's, that's where the rub is. Man, if I speak the truth in love, it may hurt me. It may come at a cost to me. But leaders worth following or speak the truth clearly. The, another thing that Paul brought up about this issue was this: He said leaders must be transparent. There must be transparency in a, in a person's life, a leader's life. And I mean, Paul was being criticized. He, man, they were trashing him about changing his mind about something. Paul had told him that he'd stop by Corinth and that he'd visit them on his way to Macedonia, and then on his way back that he'd stop in again and he'd see them for a second time. And and, and Paul changed his plans. I mean circumstances can cause you and I sometimes to change plans right and If you look at the uh, the travel plans of Paul and the things that they went through, you could understand in their time why they had changed their mind. Travel's difficult in our day, right? Plans change. I heard the story about a man that went to, went to the airline clerk, and he went up to the desk, and he looked at, looked at her and says, you know what, I have three baggages that are three bags that I want to check in, I, and I want you to send one to Chicago. I want you to send one to Atlanta. I want you to send one to New York. The lady says, well, excuse me, sir, we can't do that since 9-11 and, and everything that goes on with that and airport security. We just absolutely can't do that. And he goes, yes, you can. You can do it. And she goes, sir, we just can't do it. He said, ma'am, I know you can. You did it last week, and I didn't even ask you to. I <laughs> didn't even want it, and you did it. Let me tell you something. Plans change. And Paul did a lot of traveling. And his plans were interrupted. But I want you to see the integrity of... Your leadership, my leadership is not tested when things are going well and speak, people are speaking well of you and people are following you. And Your leadership will always be questioned when people are criticizing you. And Watch this. Paul writes this, verse 15, because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then... Uh, to, send, to have you send me on my way to Judea. Here he goes. When I plan this, did I do it lightly or did I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. Um, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was, who was preached among you by, by uh, Silas and Temp- Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, uh, the amen is spoken by us by the glory of God. Paul was open and honest. Paul simply told him, you know what? Guys, I changed my mind. Talk about integrity. I mean, he didn't try to deceive them, he didn't make up some plan. He didn't say I missed a connecting flight I missed I didn't get a rent a car, I had car problems. oh and guess what? He didn't even do what a lot of preachers do. He didn't pull out the God card and say, "You know what God led me to change my plans." You see through that right I mean you ever been around you ever been around preachers you ever been around leaders and they they get to the point and they pull out the God card and says, "God led me, and you know it's to push their agenda you Paul didn't even do that. You talk about a man of integrity? You talk about speaking the truth clearly? You talk about not wanting to deceive or hurt anyone? Man, sometimes circumstances change in life. Sometimes we change plans. and Man, people can accept mistakes if they feel their leaders are honest. We can't always see the future. Sometimes we have more information than before. People can accept mistakes from leaders. As long as they know, you've got my best interest at heart. As long as you know, you're not deceiving me. As long as we know that you're trying to be honest. But what they can't accept? If they're deliberately being lied to. If there's a cover-up going on. If the leaders refuse to admit they've made a mistake. Let me tell you something. Hypocrisy is not that we sin. Hypocrisy is not that we sin. Hypocrisy is that we use religion to cover our sin hypocrisy is when we get into this thing whether there's a spiritual leader or whether it's someone in the church to where they get into this point they just kind of use religion to cover their sin to the point where, it, where they believe that it doesn't matter how I live my life it doesn't matter about the choices I make as long as I do some religious activity it covers me, it makes me okay. Paul also said that, that leaders must be Humble. I mean, he leads right into this, and he says leaders must not only be people that are transparent, but leaders must be people of humility or people that are, that are, that are humble. In other words, humility is this for a spiritual leader, is it a, that a spiritual leader, their dependency is on Christ and not himself. Their dependency is on God and not flesh. It's not really their agenda. I mean, Paul admitted this, 19 and 20, we can turn back uh, and look at that. Uh, Paul admitted this. It's just so cool what he did. He said, you know what? He basically said this. My plans changed. Yeah, I admit. My plans changed. But let me just tell you this. Talking about someone that's humble, talking about someone that, that, that their trust is in Christ and not themselves, yes, guys, my plans changed. I didn't see the future. Some things came up. I changed my mind. But he said, but let me tell you something. God's promises are true. God's promise is never yes and no. If God makes you a promise, you can write it down because he is not like a man and he is not like me. God sees the future. God understands everything. You talk about a person of humility. He was so worried about that congregation that he was worried that his mistake, him changing his mind, would hurt how they viewed God. Because people will do that. People will see, sometimes we will see God through the filter of a spiritual leader. And he understood that. And Paul says, my plans change, but I know, I gotta let you know, I, choose, I follow a holy and a righteous God and his plans never change. And when he says yes, he means yes. And when he says no, he means no. You know, Jesus sees the future. Watch this verse 21. Not as God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. I mean, you realize that? It's God that makes you stand firm in Christ. That's what humility is all about. The fact that I can stand in the middle of the congregation and proclaim you and in every situation say you are good is because of my dependency on you it's not because of me and I'm a great person I you just got to understand that just the humility of Paul and he said that he anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit on our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. Yeah, I may have changed my mind, but I want you to know he never does. And he sealed you and he's put his spirit in you as a guarantee of what is to what is to come. See, a spiritual leader is someone who promotes Christ and not himself. It's someone that's willing to admit that I don't have all the answers. That's why we lead with multiple pastors. That's why we got elders. That's why we got life group leaders. That's why we got more people involved in this thing. A spiritual leader is someone that will admit their dependency on Christ. See, we expect secular leaders to promote themselves and to promote their agendas. But we even expect them to admit they don't have all the answers. Listen, spiritual leaders should promote Christ and Christ alone. Be very careful of a spiritual leader that always promotes themselves. Always talks about their press clippings, their accomplishments, their great stuff. Always be careful of the spiritual leader that is afraid that the church will love someone more than them. Always be careful of a spiritual leader that can stick people in a sweat tent, whatever it was called. People hyperventilating, people passing out, people dehydrating, people dying. And he could keep them in the tent because they were committed to him. I'm not even so much to promote fellowship of the Rockies. I promote Christ and Christ alone. Church is a byproduct of that. And when you look at this issue of leadership, even Paul said, Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul was willing to say, I'm an imperfect person, but I'm, I'm following a perfect God whose yes is yes and no is no. The last thing that Paul told us is leaders must be willing and must be able to relate to people. In other words, it'd be a good thing if leaders like people. No, I'm serious. I mean, I've heard it. You've heard it. You know, I've heard pastors say it, pastors' conferences. That's why I hate pastors' conferences. And they'll say, you know what, church would be fun if it wasn't for people. (laughs) Who says stuff like that? No wonder it's just... Anyway, I better not. I won't say anything. I'll get in trouble. But Paul understood this, that Paul understood that you you got to be with people you got to relate people it'd be a good deal if you like people it'd be a good deal if they liked you i mean you ever follow someone you ever really follow someone you don't like and so paul right back in first corinthians uh wrote this about gifts he says but eagerly eagerly desire the greater gifts and now i'll show you the most excellent way if i speak in the tongues of men and of angels wow but i have not love." I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I can have faith that can move mountains. In other words, if I got great platform gifts, and I got great gifts when I'm in the spotlight, but when I'm with people, there's a huge disconnect. He said, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, if I surrender my body to the flames, in other words, he said, if I sacrificially give, but have not love, I gain absolutely nothing. I gain absolutely nothing. A true leader is someone that can be able to see things from other people's perspective and care about it. Verse 23, Paul said, I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. You know what, I think now we have some insights into another reason that Paul changed his mind because he cared about them. Corinthians said that Paul had already had a difficult visit. He had already rebuked him. He He had a painful visit is what he referred to it. And then he got word back from Titus that the Corinthian church had not changed. It was a wreck. It was a lot of problems. And there were still problems, and so he decided not to visit them again, or he decided to wait. And maybe he was afraid of what he would say to them. Maybe one of the reasons he changed his mind, he changed his plans that he needed to process out. I mean, have you ever done that? You ever? someone ever hurt you, and you spoke to him way too soon? And you should have kind of processed out your feelings. And you had those conversations, you says, man, oh man, if I could take back those words, I would. I should have figured out what I felt about that first. See, a leader is sensitive to the people around us. How sensitive are you to the people around you? Do you understand the hurts and the problems that people are going through? People around you all the time hurting. They may mask it. Are you perceptive enough to be able to look beneath the surface and see what's going on? And you know, Paul would say that a leader treats subordinates, those that report to him or her, with respect. A real test of your leadership? How do you treat the people that report to you? How did how do you how do you treat the people that are placed under your authority, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's a Church, how do you treat the people that can do nothing for you? It's easy to treat the people that are on, above you on the career ladder because you know they can lift you up. You can move up a rung. How do you treat them? Paul was an authority over this church. He was an apostolic leader. I mean, he was in total authority with them. I mean, he reminded them, remember at the first of the letter that he was an apostle called of God by the will of God? He was called to that church. He could have pulled rank over them. If you don't obey, kick you out of the church. I'll disband the church. Verse 24, not that we lord it over your faith. See, true leadership is not lording over somebody. But we work with you for what? You talk about a person that loved people, we work with you, what? For your joy. Because it by faith you stand firm. He wrote to another church in Thessalonians. He says, we were not looking for praises for men and not from you or anyone else as apostles of Christ. We could have been a burden to you. See, true leadership is to where you're not a burden to those that are under you. But we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children, and Paul cared so much about people that he tempered his authority with his love of people. He loved them and he served with them for joy, and unfortunately all of us probably know people that have abused the level of leadership in their life. and. Boy, they've intimidated people and they've rules and harsh and let everybody know their position and how important they are. And Paul loved this group of people so much is that he just expressed his concern for them in a few ways. He just, verse 1 and 2, he expressed his concern for them. And he said, So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? He could have said, you know what, I'm an apostolic leader. If you don't like it, tough. If you don't like it, find another church. If you don't like it, get out. Paul was so vulnerable, he was willing to admit that he needed them. See, some leaders get to the point that they have this shell around them because they they don't they want to get vulnerable they, to the point to they to where people realize that they need them. Paul was so vulnerable he said, you know what, you have the power in my life, you can give me joy or you can grieve me. You have that kind of power in my life. Jesus was never ashamed to admit how he felt, right? I mean, When he looked over the city of Jerusalem, he said he wept and he cried. And he says they were just harassed and helpless and they didn't know their left hand from the right. And he says, all I wanted you to do was just to accept me. All I wanted you to do. But Paul also believed in them. Verse 3, he says, I wrote as I did so that when I came, I, I should not be distressed by those who who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all you that you would share in my joy. And this is just a huge statement of Paul. And he, he had gone through so much problems with these people. They had rebelled, they had hurt him, they were gossiping about him, they were telling lies about him. They were trying to hurt his ministry, they were attacking him. And he says, "You know what? I still believe in you." He understood the power of a complimentary word. Why is it in life most of us the only word we speak into someone's life is when they disappoint us, when they let us down, when they do something wrong? Paul understood the principle of a complimentary word. He found what they were doing right and he complimented that. When was the last time you just gave someone a compliment for something they were doing right in your life, how it blessed you, how it helped you? Jesus did this. Remember the woman at the well, caught in adultery, brought up in front of the whole town, people around ready to stone her, ready to judge her, even her partner was in the the group and Jesus interrupted that whole deal everyone laughed and he says woman where are are your accusers and she looked around and she says there are none and then Jesus basically told her this he said "I, I want you to know I still believe in you I just want you to know. I believe you'll get it. Just go. Go and sin no more. Remember Simon Peter that kind of vacillated with his faith and made dumb decisions and made bad decisions? And Jesus told him, says, Peter, I I know you've denied me and I know you've done all this stuff. But I just believe I believe one day you're going to get it. And you know what? Because I believe that, I'm going to call you the rock. To the 12 uneducated disciples, a lot of times they were the guys that didn't get it. They're the guys that are off to the side asking Jesus, Jesus, what did you really mean by that? He's like, how many times do I got to tell you? Thought you guys would get it. And Jesus told them, said. Guys, I believe in you and I believe in you so much. You're going to take the gospel into the whole world. I know you've let me down. I know you hurt me. But I need you to know I believe in you. See, Paul was willing to verbalize his feelings to a group of people, to a church that had hurt him. He was willing to encourage them. A whole different type of form of leadership. Biblical leadership, biblical integrity is so much different than what we look at it. And this morning, I don't know how you need to respond to the message. I know what God has done in my life as a result of pouring through these passages and these scriptures last week. I don't know if you're at the point where you just need to accept him and ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. Boy, if you've never done that, that's where it starts. I've realized after doing two services, we we have a, a large group of people that have been hurt by some religious leaders. that feel like they'll never measure up, they'll never be good enough. And maybe today you need to surrender that to the Lord. And you need to be able to hear just from Him. And I believe in you. And I know some churches have judged and rules and regulations have been harsh and legalistic and... Pastors are infallible and all this other stuff that goes on, and you see through that. But I just need you to know that wasn't the way I intended it to be. And maybe this morning, maybe you just need to surrender that to God and say, God, I can come to your altar, I can walk with you. maybe this morning you just need to change your leadership style whether it's in the home whether it's in your marriage or whether it's in the workplace I don't know what God has for you but we just want to give you complete freedom I'm just going to pray in a few minutes the worship team's going to come up and we're just going to close this service as a moment of, of, of dedication uh, if you've made a decision, you have a prayer request or whatever, you fill out that Connect card, you can hand it to the, the ushers. They'll have baskets as, as you leave the service. But we just want to end this service very worshipful. If you need to come down at the altar and kneel and pray during the song, you do that. You need to worship him right where you are, you do that. You may need to make a decision to him, you do that. My job, Chad's job, is to point you to him. And to the very best of our ability, we want to do that this day.